One of those um, questions that has been asked over the years in a variety of ways is a, a question designed to make one think about what's most important in life. Uh, the question might go something like this. Um, if your house were on fire and you could only escape with the clothes on your back and three of the, most, the three most important things in your life, what would it be? What would they be? Now, if you're a good follower of Jesus, you would say your Bible. Then you would say maybe a, a photo album. And then you would say, well, I better take my wallet. I got to thinking about that question and thought how different my answers would be today. You see, I have more translations of the Bible in my pocket than I can possibly carry. I've got all the most important photos right here. And I have all my banking information and all my contact information right here. So I guess I would grab my phone and the charger, got to have your phone charger, and then maybe my wallet. And see, we have a detached garage, so my truck, my tools, and my golf clubs, they're all good. It's amazing how things change, but yet the, the principle is still the same. What are the most essential items in your life? Or let's put it another way, we're going to explore beginning today in Romans, what are the essential things that I need to believe? Um, in, in the book of Romans, as we come to the passage we're at today, we're going to see that not everything was hearts and flowers in the Roman church. You know, we said there's probably seven or eight house churches, maybe 100 to 120 people that consisted of the Roman church the day that Phoebe walked into town with the letter from Paul. And yet you go into those house churches and not everything was hearts and flowers. There were some divisions. And one of the things that is a theme that runs through the New Testament, beginning with Jesus' great prayer in John 17, was the theme of unity. Jesus said, I pray, Father, that they would be one, all of those who hear about you from the apostles, and that would include you and me, that they would be one as you and I are one. And it's important sometimes to think about what are the essentials? What are the things that truly hold us together? What are the core realities of your faith and my faith? The late Dr. Larry Crabb used to say to us who were taking counseling classes for him that the older he got, the smaller his list of hills to die on became. I've grown to realize the truth of that statement. And as we look at this final section, we're going to ask ourselves, what does it look like, again, to live a transformed life under the grace of God? And how do I, in living my life under the grace of God, determine what is essential for faith and what are the things that I can just not worry about? We're going to do an exercise this morning that I hope will help us focus on the essentials. In 325, there was a controversy. It was a controversy between two theologians, one by the name of Arius and the other Athanasius. 
Arius believed and taught that uh, there was only one God and that Jesus was not God the Son. He was simply a being created by God. He wasn't God incarnate. So in 325, there was a council called the Council of Nicaea. And all these scholars got together and, they just, and the, one of the questions was, what is the nature, what is the essence of Jesus? What do we believe? And out of that council, they wrote a creed, aptly named the Nicene Creed. A, a creed is a statement of faith. And the Nicene Creed is a statement of faith of the essentials of faith. And, and in a minute, we're going to read that together. One word that I want you to be aware of as we read that, because then at one point near the end, it's going to talk about, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And sometimes people get hung up on that, saying, is that the, the Catholic church like is down the road? But that's not what that word means. The word Catholic is a Greek word, katholikos, katholikos. It means universal. So when we say, I believe in one Catholic and apostolic church, we're saying, I believe in one universal church. So I would like to ask you, once again, if it's convenient, would you stand and would you join in reading together with me the Nicene Creed? Together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. You know, if you take the time to look on our webpage or if you have a copy of our Constitution and you look at what we call our core values at Pleasant Hill Community Church, you're going to find that they follow what we've just read. It's important to know our essentials. I've shared with you oftentimes my own growing up experience 
in general terms, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the long list of things we couldn't do. I will just tell you this. As I got older, as I began to observe life a little bit, as I began to question life a little bit, uh, we do that in life, as I began to question the list of things we couldn't do, I began to ask the question, why? Why? And you know what? The standard answer I got, which was very dissatisfying, was because we're Christians. As I got even older and began to kind of evaluate my own life, I, I knew I couldn't articulate it at the time when I was just this punk kid, but eventually I learned this reality. What I learned growing up and what I leaned against growing up was an idea that my faith was defined by what I did or didn't do. My faith wasn't defined by who I believed Jesus was. And I agree, we've got to have standards. We have to have ways that we guide our lives. That's important. But we have to be careful to not allow our faith to be defined by just what we do or don't do. It's got to be about what we believe about the essentials, namely, about who Jesus is. So as we've mentioned in Rome, between 57 and 59, this group of people were learning to follow Jesus. Some of these peoples we've talked about came from Jewish backgrounds. And uh, some of them were very well versed in the rudiments of the Old Testament law. And as a result, some of them likely went ahead and carried some of that stuff with them and, and followed maybe some of the food laws. Others of those people came from non-Jewish backgrounds. They were, they were born in pagan Rome, and so some of that stuff wasn't necessary for them. It's essential. Or the issue was, what is essential for faith? That's the issue. What, what do I really need to have faith? And so Paul addresses some of these things that were beginning to cause division in the Roman church. Let me read from Romans 14. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 14. Let me read just the first four verses. Paul writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Paul talks about disputable matters. I would, talk, I would use that term and talk about essentials of faith. Some people later on, we might see it called matters of conscience. And I think the first principle Paul wants to drive home here, and I think the first principle we need to see is a very important principle of Christian unity, and it's simply this. Accept one another's differences regarding non-essential issues. Accept one another's differences regarding non-essential issues. What is a non-essential issue? What is a disputable matter? Well, in this particular context, one of the disputable matters had to do with eating meat. Now, 
This is developed in other letters that Paul writes. In Corinthians, part of the issue was, in 1 Corinthians, they were eating meat maybe that would, had been previously offered to an idol. And some people felt, oh man, I can't eat that meat because then maybe some way I'm participating in idol worship. Some of the Jewish people may have said, yeah, I, I, I've heard the stories of what God said to Peter about nothing being unclean. But you know, I was raised this way and so there are certain meats I won't eat. And some people said, you know what, I'm going to keep myself clear. I'm just going to eat vegetables. I'm only going to do that. And, and, and so Paul says, those are not the essentials of faith. Those are non-essentials. Uh, I want to give you, here in this first point, I want to give you some definitions and I'm going to end with a story that may help you understand non-essentials because we need to accept one another's differences regarding non-essentials. Essentials of the faith are the basic truths of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and the Bible. Let me say that again. The essentials of the faith are the basic truths about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and the Bible. Paul gives us a great definition in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The deity of Jesus Christ, the fact of His necessity of His death due to sin, His burial, His resurrection, and the person of God, the reality of the Holy Spirit, the authority that God has given us in the Bible, those are the essentials. And if you go back and look at everything we've talked about from Romans 1 through Romans 11, that was a whole diatribe on essentials. And the issues that were dividing the Roman church were not issues regarding basic truths about Jesus, about salvation. They were disputable. They were opinions. Some of the issues, this means those issues were important to the ones to whom they were important. So the dietary restrictions were important to the people who believed the dietary restrictions were important. But they weren't to have any bearing on faith and on unity. Paul says, he talks about weak faith. Now, don't, don't hear me say today that if you decide that I really need to eat far, far, far less red meat and eat more vegetables, your faith is weak. That's not the point that he's saying here. What he's saying is this. In the Roman church, they, some of the people believed my faith is, is in need of me following this rule. Okay? And it wasn't just a choice. It was, I have to do this. If I don't do this, I'm not really following Jesus. And Paul says that's a faith, in essence, that needs a crutch. It's, it's therefore weak, not in that it's a choice. It's weak because a choice has become now a demand. It's become an essential for my faith. I know I need to eat more vegetables, okay? I know that for a fact. My wife reminds me on a regular basis. Paul says that person's faith needs a crutch. You accept them. You don't quarrel over it. In fact, he says the one who eats everything 
Pastor Scott, except for rhubarb and raisins. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. Do you see that? There was judgment going on. You can't eat that nice, juicy prime rib? Man, man, you are. You probably aren't really saved. I really don't like you if you can't eat what I eat, or if you won't eat what I eat. Can you just think about that? Doesn't that sound absurd? And Paul was saying that was it. Some of the people were treating one another with contempt. The people who said, I only eat vegetables, would look at the people who eat meat and go, you're a glutton. You can't really be following Jesus. And the other people would look at the people eating vegetables and go, man, you don't have any freedom. You can't really be following Jesus. And Paul says, no, accept one another in these disputable issues. So if someone wants to, you know, what what somebody eats, he's going to talk about special days here in a minute. Well, you know, what I eat or what I choose, day I choose to take off, doesn't impact my standing with the Father through faith in Jesus. So if someone wants to eat only vegetables because they feel that's what they want to do, praise God. I praise God for your broccoli and your Brussels sprouts and your. I praise God. And I want to celebrate that. If someone says, I want to eat a a big juicy steak, praise God. That's the point. The essentials of the faith aren't bound up in vegetables or meat. And and, and so um, Paul says, God accepts them, so you should accept them. God accepts them. God accepts you and me not on the basis of what we're going to have for lunch. God accepts you and me on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, we do have a responsibility to love one another, to serve one another, to respect one another, and that is important. But ultimately, we serve the Lord. Paul says, who are you to judge another person's servant? You see, the essentials of the faith are the basic truths of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, and the Bible. Those four things, that's the essentials. How you choose to live, how you choose to live out those essentials, that's between you and God, and it may look differently for so many people. Let me tell you a story that might help this. I heard this from at a conference years ago from the speaker. We're going to call him Joe, because that's his name. Um, and the other speaker, we're going to call him Bob. And I don't know if that was his name. But the two men were getting ready to go out. Joe was going to be introducing Bob. They were in what's called the green room. It's just, I don't know why. It goes way back in TV history why they call it the green room, but it's the waiting room before they go out on stage. They were early in November when this uh, speech was going to take place. Now, Joe grew up in a home kind of like mine. The home that Joe grew up in was a home that said, we do not darken the door of a movie theater ever because it's related to Hollywood and Hollywood is immoral. And if we give money to buy a ticket to the movie, we're actually supporting Hollywood. So we never darken the door of a movie theater. Very important for you to keep that in mind. Now, Bob grew up in a home that said, We do not 
trick or treat or do anything on Halloween. That is the devil's holiday. And we do nothing to support the devil's holiday. And we make sure that if, if trick or treating's happening in our neighborhood, we aren't home. The lights are off, everything. We are away. We don't participate in the devil's holiday. Two Christian leaders, one getting ready to give a keynote speech to a conference. And as they're in the green room, Joe says to Bob, hey, so what'd your family do for Halloween? Oh, we don't support that. That's the devil's holiday. We, we are gone. And Joe said, oh, okay, well, we had kids coming to our door. We were handing out candy and trick-or-treating and all. So what did you guys do? Oh, we packed up the kids and we went to a movie. Essentials. Accept one another's difference regarding non-essentials issues. But see, in Romans, food wasn't just the issue. Those who grew up in the Jewish system had certain days to celebrate. They would celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They would celebrate Hanukkah. You know what? Jesus went to Hanukkah, believe it or not. Read John 10, 22, the Feast of Dedication. That was Hanukkah. They would celebrate Hanukkah. They would celebrate Pentecost. But if you didn't grow up in that tradition, then, then those days really didn't have the same impact on you. You might appreciate them and all, but they just didn't have the same impact on you. And notice what Paul says here, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves alone. And none of us dies to ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says, it really doesn't matter. Somebody says, oh, I, I need to honor Yom Kippur. Great, you do it. And you do it, and, and we, will, we will give you the freedom to do that. The issue is not what you do, it's do you do it to the Lord? Are you doing it to honor God? And, and you know what? Someone uh, doesn't really have a sense of that, and they say, well, you know what? That's just not my thing. So what's Paul say? I think the key to what Paul is saying in this section is, right around verses 8 and 9. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we eat or die, we belong to the Lord. Second major principle, as followers of Jesus, we all belong to the Lord. In life and death, those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ belong to the Lord. Jesus has purchased us with his blood. We are His. He's redeemed us. He's brought us back from the curse of sin. We are His. And Paul says that's a basic essential of our faith. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ makes Him Lord of all, Lord of the living and the dead. So whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, whether you celebrate a special day or don't celebrate a special day, don't use that as a way to divide and back away 
we all belong to the Lord. I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I was thinking about just being here. Can I say I honestly love the good people of Pleasant Hill Community Church? I love you guys. It is, it is an honor, and it is a high privilege to, to have that title, pastor. And I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt, I can remember vividly the process that started all the way back in 1995 and, and took about a year. And, and in August of 1996, we packed up our kids and our belongings and our beagle mix, and we moved here. And Charlene and I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God had called us here. And I can tell you, in case you are sitting there going, uh-oh, he's not changed his call. It's our pleasure to celebrate your joys and to walk with you through your sorrows. I love the fact that I can walk down the hallway of our church and know the names of the people that are here. But here's the truth. I don't belong to you. And you don't belong to me. We belong to God. Now, we have responsibilities to treat each other with love and respect, but we don't belong to each other. We belong to the Lord. There is going to come a day in one way, shape, or form that we will have to part ways. It's, the, it's what life is about. Life is about comings and goings. That may happen. And I hope when that day happens, our memories will be sweet and cherished and will, will make us feel wonderful. You know, when we left the Indiana where we felt that we loved the people there and they loved us, most of them, uh, it's so great that were we to have a Sunday off and were we to walk into that church, I know because I've been back for several occasions, we would be welcomed with open arms and like, oh, it's so good to see you guys. And, and uh, I love it when the elderly people look at me and go, you don't look a day different. I know <laughs> you need your eyes checked, but that's OK. Uh, but, you know, it's great to have those relationships that span the miles and the years. But I don't belong to them and I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. We belong to the Lord. And Paul says, don't allow preferences that are, that are not matters of essential faith to cause us to judge one another as if we, that person doesn't belong to God. If God has accepted a person through faith in Jesus, they belong to God. And if they participate in Halloween, that's between them and God. And if they go to a movie, that's between them and God. And if they're a vegan, that's between them and God. And if they're carnivorous, that's between them and God. We belong to God. You know, I've had a privilege to worship the Lord in places like Mexico and Costa Rica, Guyana, South America, in Krasnyarsk, Russia, in Beckley, West Virginia, in Bluefield, West Virginia, Salina, Kansas. 
And every one of those services is a little bit different. There are some similarities here and there, but there's so many differences. And what I love about worshiping God in so many different places is I get to see how someone else expresses their heart to God. And I think that's part of the joy of one day when we're, as Revelation talks about around the throne room, we're going to have, we're going to hear, you know, I've watched, I used to work for a mission organization. We had several churches that had been planted in the Central African Republic. And when they worshiped God, they bring the all, they always, every Lord's Day, they are dressed up and, and they do this kind of shuffle thing when they're singing and it's back and forth and shuffling. And it's like, man, in my church, I, when I grew up, no, that's dancing. You can't do that. But they do. They celebrate. And they, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to see when a, a, a dignitary, even somebody from just the, the mission comes in and the, the whole village lines the road and they have this rhythmic clap and they're, they're singing and they're just singing these songs and all. It's so cool. I just think that's so great that we have so many different ways that people express their heart to God. And, and, and Paul asks a question here as we move on. He says, verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why would I judge my Central African Republican brothers and sisters for the way that they worship God? Why do you treat them with contempt? Why would I look down on them? Why would I sneer at them? Why would I judge them? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Paul in that dialogue approach says, why do you treat these people with contempt? Why do you look down on them? Just think for a minute. Think for a minute about someone you know. Maybe somebody right in this room, maybe their practices aren't comfortable to you. Maybe you don't like the fact that I drive a pickup truck that's burnt sienna in color. Maybe you don't like the fact that I'm, often, I, I'm open about I play golf every now and then. And if you saw me play, you would say, yeah, maybe you need to play a little more. Maybe you don't like the fact that my shirt's not tucked in. Maybe you don't like something else. Maybe you don't like the sound of my voice when I try to sing. You have the right to your opinion. But none of those above are essential to my faith relationship with Jesus. What's the bottom line? Look at verses 11 and 12, or verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We are each ultimately accountable to God. Let me say that again. We are each ultimately accountable to God. Now that doesn't mean that we're not in many other ways accountable to each other. We are in many senses. Don't read into Paul's words and don't hear me saying it's just a live and let live life and you just do your own thing. No, we do have accountability even here. We're going to deal with the live and let live stuff in a later section because that's not that's what someone told me that. Isn't that what the Bible says? You just live and let live and God will take care of it all? Not really. We have responsibility to love and serve one another. But the ultimate accountability is to God. I'm accountable. I'm accountable to love my wife now. Uh, I'm accountable to study 
and know and work hard to impart God's word accurately. I'm accountable to make sure that even when no one's around, that I'm using my time wisely because I have a responsibility to you to do the best I can to bring God's word to you. But when it comes to my eternal soul, I am accountable only to God. When it comes to my salvation, I am accountable only to God. And that goes for you as well. So when it comes to food or special days or recreational activities, etc., 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 we can all just take it easy on one another. Because we all know that one day God's going to hold us accountable. We all know that we're going to stand before God and, and He will give account for how we used our abilities. How did we use our abilities to serve others? How did we use our abilities to, to proclaim His name? How did we use our abilities to, to love our neighbor? We'll give an account. How did we honor God in the place where He put us? We'll give an account. We'll give an account as to how we treated those with, with all sincerity, exercised their faith differently than we did. How do we treat those whose faith is shown, shows up a little bit differently than ours? How do, we, how do we do that? Ultimately, we belong to the Lord. And the bottom line is, God tells us, accept one another's differences regarding non-essential issues. Let me leave you with this story. It was many years ago, one of our daughters was in preschool. And one night they had a fundraiser. And it was to be a silent auction. And they asked that all the parents uh, would either make or bring something to put in the silent auction. And then we would all bid and purchase one another's stuff. I, I was early into woodworking those days, so I took these, I, it was basically a, a two-by-four, and I cut it into special, uh, about one-inch squares, and I put a little peak on it, I painted the roof black, I stuck a dowel rod on it, and I painted the, the body of it red, and I stenciled W-E-L-C-O-M-E -E on, on each block, and it was these little welcome blocks. And I made three sets, and they all sold. I didn't have to take any home with me. That was pretty cool. Uh, one of the things was one of the families was offering to make dinner. One of the couples was offering to make dinner for another couple. Charlene and I bid on that one. That's one of those ones where you're taking a risk. But we bid on that one. And believe it or not, I don't think anybody else did bid on that one because we, we won. We got that one. And we ended up being able to go out to dinner with this or go to their house for dinner. Well, it turned out the, the couple that had put that out were, were kind of new in the area, and it turned out that he was the pastor of a, of a mainline church in our area. I thought, oh, this is cool. And it was interesting. I was sharing with someone, an older saint, how excited we were to go to dinner with this couple who pastored a mainline denomination and church in our area. And I was told this. You need to be very careful. 
You see, they don't mean the same thing we mean when they say the word grace. What? What? And I said, Mom, what are you talking about? Oh, just be careful, son. They don't mean the same thing we mean when they say the word grace. So we went to this couple's house. We had a great meal. We shared stories. We shared stories about similarities in training and seminary. We went to different schools. We shared observations about our little town of Warsaw, Indiana. He was new to the area. He was from Florida. And, and it was news to him that high school basketball in Warsaw, Indiana is like a religion. There were people that would go to, high school, to Warsaw Community High School basketball games and, and would have all the, you know, the black and the, the orange paraphernalia on and would cheer and everything, and their kids had graduated 35 years ago, but they were still going to basketball games. And he said somebody came up to him in his church one Sunday, and they handed him, almost as if it were like gold, two tickets to Friday night's basketball game because they would sell season tickets to high school basketball games. Our doctor, who delivered two of our three children, used to stand at, at the end run. There would be the basket. He was there, and you could see him in his black sweatshirt with a big W on it, and he would be yelling at the refs. And he delivered my children. And we just laughed at how people saw that. It's just something. He says, they handed it to me like they were giving me a bowling trophy. I didn't know what to do with it. I don't even like basketball. I thought, well, you're not going to last long in Warsaw, brother. But it just went beyond that experience. We left that night having made friends. We left that night having made friends with people who, when they got together at church, they expressed their faith differently than we did. And the relationship didn't end that night. We realized that our schedules were such, we ended up carpooling with them. They would pick up our kids sometimes, our daughter, we'd pick up their son. I think a couple times we even watched their kids when just the schedules, you know, and, and it was like a friendship. And in a unique way, my own personal vision and faith were expanded when I saw that God did work in different ways. But my role was not to judge them. Because who am I to judge another who sees themselves as honestly doing God's work? Accept one another differences regarding non-essential issues. In the faith community, remember that we all belong to the Lord. And ultimately, we're each accountable to God. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this reminder that I know every time I, I go through this, every time I think about it, it, it really does pull me up short. Help us, Lord, today. Today, as we go out wherever you have for us, help us today to remember that we belong to you. Help us to be more accepting of others. Help us to be those who are willing to listen to someone else's story before we make 
our decisions and our judgments. Help us, Lord, to remember that ultimately we will stand before you, we will give an account, and that you truly are the ultimate judge. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.